Today on The Pale Threshold, we are starting the Mind Control series. Today we're going to be talking about V2K, what is also known as Voice to Skull. It is the means by which many targeted individuals believe that voices are being beamed directly into their heads. We're going to talk about what it is, what it isn't, a little bit about the history of using electronics to control and map brain activity as it relates to the possibility of having voices broadcast inside your head. The main definition that I could find for voice-to-skull devices was an archived post on the Federation of American Scientists archive website. And this definition was given as coming from a call.army.mil site, which when I clicked on it, of course, I was unable to access. The definition is a non-lethal weapon, which includes one, a neuroelectromagnetic device which uses microwave transmissions of sound into skull of persons or animals by way of pulse-modulated microwave radiation. Two, a silent sound device which can transmit sound into the skull of persons or animals. Note, the sound modulation may be voice or audio subliminal messages. One, application of V2K is use as an electronic scarecrow to frighten birds in the vicinity of airports. So there are documented cases where what is technically classed as V2K is being used in settings to deter birds. You might have walked past a storefront where they were playing exceptionally loud music or a repetitive beeping noise. That's very common here in LA to deter people from loitering outside of that place of business. So I'm going to address this first part of the definition. The science behind microwaves and their auditory properties. In 1962, there was a scientist named Alan Fry, and of course the Fry effect is named after him. He published a paper proving that microwaves are detected by the human auditory system as clicks. The hypothesis is that is due to thermohydraulic phenomena inside the skull. There was an additional paper from the early 80s, and this was published by Don Justison based on his work and Fry's work and the work of the Soviets and some other people um, that I'll talk about in just a moment, Sharp and uh, Grove. And this paper was transcribed from a lecture given in the mid-70s. So in Microwaves and Behavior, Justison talks about the Advanced Research Projects Agency, which the acronym for that is ARPA. They contacted Joseph C. Sharp, who was the former director of research in experimental psychology 
at Walter Reed Army Institute of Research and electronic engineer Mark Grove. They had studied extensively the biophysical effects of microwave radiations. So ARPA funding was cut drastically when the Mansfield Amendment was passed, which prohibited military spending on non-military-related research. Sharp and Grove radiated themselves with voice-modulated microwaves and were able to identify the names of digits between 1 and 10. The voice they heard was described as similar to a artificial larynx. So if you've ever heard somebody who had their larynx removed and they have one of those talk boxes, it's a very robotic type of voice. More complex words were not attempted because exposure would exceed 10 milliwatts per squared centimeter limit of safe exposure if they attempted longer words or phrases. Now, now this might somewhat debunk microwaves as the source of the artificial voices counter to what was given in that definition. The voice would be very robotic sounding and the microwave dosages would be noticeable. Another potential source of intracranial voice transmission. And of course, this is theoretical, this is not verified. It's another option to consider. And I'll talk about the symptoms associated with microwave radiation, high altitude, and uh, TMS, which I'm about to discuss here as I continue this episode. You will want to track your symptoms very closely. Any comorbidities that you notice alongside hearing voices inside your skull if you are experiencing that. This information I took from Wikipedia. Transcranial magnetic stimulation is a non-invasive form of brain stimulation in which a changing magnetic field is used to induce an electric current at a specific area of the brain through electromagnetic induction. The pulses of TMS are the same strength as you would get with an MRI scan and you can reach with deep TMS up to six inches inside the brain. The delivery system is two butterfly shaped. It looks like butterfly wings or like the infinity symbol or an eight. They're called butterfly coils and they are situated directly above the skull. This method, the delivery apparatus does need to be very close to the skull. Symptoms or side effects that are noted with TMS, discomfort, pain, hearing loss, inadvertent current induction in implanted devices like pacemakers, and a cognitive change or even short-term elevated energy, which is termed hypomania. Very rare, you can get fainting or seizures. The next category of mind control potential devices I will be covering today are brain-computer interfaces. The earliest of this was invented in 1989 by Richard A. Norman, who was at the University of Utah, and it's called the Utah Array. These are implanted devices. They've been in use since 2004. Much of the implantable device field is focused on regaining functionality for people who have lost the use of parts of their body. There are also non-invasive, non-implanted devices which can read parts of the brain 
but which are not then sending feedback to the brain. So it's read-only, basically, of the brain. Brain-computer interfaces use microelectrodes to detect signals from the cerebral motor cortex. They're mostly used in healthcare. Some have been applied to video games as well. I did watch a video about the top seven brain-computer interface companies. Um, Of course, there's Neuralink, which is Elon Musk's company. That company uses computer-assisted implantation. The procedure takes under one hour. The battery life of the device is one day. And there have been allegations of, well, I forget if it's allegations, but that's what I'll say here since I can't remember, um, animal, of animal welfare violations in its development. There is a company called BlackRock Neurotech, and BlackRock Neurotech also partners with another company called Clearpoint Neuro. Now, I want to put an asterisk right here and clarify that according to BlackRock Neurotech's company website, they are not owned by or affiliated with BlackRock Investments. So I want to clarify that. I know my mind went there immediately. I'm sure a lot of people's minds go there too. There are some companies which are using catheters to install these implants into blood vessels. So this would be not open brain surgery, but only one company called Synchron is really doing that one. And all of the rest of these, it is an open brain surgery procedure. So that is going to limit the possibility of anybody receiving an implant without their knowledge. You would lose at least an hour, and then there's the healing time, opening up somebody's skull. You would notice if that had been done to you, unless you're losing like days or weeks at a time, which some people are, and in which case you would want to look for scars and other telltale signs. BlackRock Neurotech is going to be launching commercial devices sometime in 2024, and that is going to mark the first instances of such implants being used outside of an academic setting. BCIs create feedback between the brain and computer in a way that can be reciprocal. So with an implanted device, it would be reciprocal, And with external non-implanted devices, as I mentioned before, the brain data is read-only. So now I'm going to talk about the similarity of symptoms between microwave exposure and cerebral edema. When you are dealing with something like having voices in your head, it's going to be very important to track your symptoms, and to compare them against different factors. So, for example, I had already mentioned with TMS what those symptoms are. I'm not saying that you're not experiencing voices in your head because of V2K technology, but if you think that is happening, you really need to make sure that you've eliminated every other possible option, every other possible source, so that you can address the underlying issues that you're experiencing 
and mitigate the overall effect that it's having on your life. If all of these factors stop being an issue and are no longer affecting your life, then basically you've beat the condition. So symptoms of microwave exposure include dyspepsia, that's like nausea and vomiting, headache, fatigue, lethargy, lassitude, that's just a general like feeling of being run down, not being able to get out of bed easily. You'll experience sleep disturbance, so it could be excitement and dreams. Um, there could be memory loss or irritability. People who were chronically exposed to microwave radiation in a workplace setting had symptoms that subsided after they were removed from that exposure. And they did experience some psychiatric symptoms like somatization, obsessive compulsivity, paranoid ideation, and psychoticism. With cerebral edema, which you can experience at high altitudes, from my own personal experience, I observed that certain aspects of what was going on with me got much worse when I was at high altitudes. I was hearing and getting a lot more vivid things cropping up in my brain. Some of the symptoms of cerebral edema are nausea, vomiting, headaches, again, lethargy, lassitude, or fatigue, altered mental states, so that's where your psychotic ideation or delusions come into play. That's what they're talking about with altered mental states. Confusion, coma, or seizure. Another factor to consider would be carbon monoxide poisoning. There have been reported cases. There was one very infamous Reddit thread in which the person was leaving themselves notes in a different kind of handwriting, and they thought somebody was breaking into their apartment. And... It turned out that they had a carbon monoxide leak, and it was affecting their cognitive function. So there are testing devices. Obviously, there are carbon monoxide detectors. As far as microwave radiation, there are also devices. As far as microwave radiation, there are devices available at around the $25 range on Amazon that from the reviews seem to have good functionality. So if you think these are things that are possibly going on, you should definitely look into getting a testing device and confirming whether or not that's the case. Sometimes there will be two things going on at the same time that might both be related to being targeted, but which are not actually related to each other. So for example, microwave radiation has been infamously used to control people's behavior. You have, even as recent as a few years ago, we have the Havana Syndrome reports. Those very much look like radi uh, microwave radiation. In the 50s and 60s, the Soviets 
And this is documented in the Justison paper, Microwaves and Behavior. The Soviets were found to be beaming microwave radiation at the American embassy. So these things are real, they do happen to people, but it's important to verify with scientific research on your own what may or may not actually be occurring in your personal situation. I hope that this has been helpful to some of you out there. Please let me know your thoughts. All of my socials for this particular podcast, I have Instagram, I have a Gmail address, and I also have the YouTube channel, and they're all at Pale Threshold. So it's easy to find me. I'm... (laughs) I'm not trying to put myself out there very far, admittedly. But do please feel free to reach out and talk to me about these things. I would love to hear your stories. And until next time, never fear the pale threshold.